You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? It is Thursday, March the 24th, 2022. It is episode 97 of the Good Pop Culture Club. My name is Marvin Yue, and joining me to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, uh, we have self-proclaimed professional Asian American, Jess Ju. What up, Jess? Hey, Marvin. How's it going? It's, it is, <laughs> it is going. What can I say? Still weird. Um, I saw that, you know, Yankee Candle reviews are taking yes. again, which is the precursor for another COVID wave. So really trying to live it up. I did not know that was an indicator. Yeah, the reviews where people are saying they can't smell it. And so they're like, why would you have a candle that doesn't have smell? Oh. Yeah. It's so, like, it's not the candle, honey. It's yeah, not if, the candle. If that many of you are not smelling the candle, they're like, I bought the same exact one last time and it smelled great. And now it doesn't. Wow. <laughs> That yeah. is amazing. Also joining yeah. us, professional culture editor, Han Win. Hey, Han. Hey, hey. Can, can you smell your candles? Well, I don't like candles. <laughs> um, so I give them all away, even the nice swag ones. So I can't tell. Um, but, like, I don't know. There was a day that all of a sudden I could smell everything. And I was like, wait, did I used to have COVID? <laughs> um which was pretty weird because I usually don't smell things because I'm just an allergy person. Mm. So I'm, I'm used to that. So that's why I think I like strong flavors and stuff like that. Because, you know, uh, your smell affects your sense of taste. But I never lost my sense of taste. So I'm like, maybe it wasn't that. Um, I'm definitely a smells person. Oh, well, then I must stink. Like, that's my, <laughs> my, my nervousness is around people who smell well. Then I'm like, oh, I probably smell bad. <laughs> because I was like, I can't tell. Like, I bathe and stuff like that. But I also like... Oh, that's Don't. good. I think if yeah. you bathe or if you shower like every day, you're you're fine. Who said every day? Anyway, no. <laughs> <laughs> especially a co- when we're home, sitting at home. But yeah, no. Especially if I'm doing anything like, um, I actually am a what sweater <laughs> pullover. Mm. I so if I um am remotely warm or like even like walk a flight of stairs, I sweat. So I have to like shower pretty often. Mm. Sweaty gals. We were, yeah. I run hot as well. I get it. It's just like yes. <laughs> Yeah. Which is like very typical to you know a lot of other women, especially like my sister runs cold, so she's like can be out in the sun, she's like freezing. I was like shaking like a fucking chihuahua, and I was like, "Bitch, bring a sweater!" And I'm like, "I am so sweaty, I can't do anything." <laughs> Ooh, the sun. Yeah, my friend is Korean, and she doesn't really sweat. And I looked it up, and apparently, not a lot of Korean women sweat. And so, like, she she was once talking about using the uh, the dry shampoo and after the gym, and I was like. That sounds gross because I sweat buckets and there's no dry shampoo in the world that will like soak up all of the sweat for me. I have to take a shower. Yeah. yeah. Korean women and my mother, my mother does not yeah. sweat. She does not smell. So she did not know that deodorant was a thing. So that was a rough uh, like, <laughs> few years yeah. for me, guys. Yeah. It was yeah. bad. Yeah. Yep. Speaking of Korean women on this episode, <laughs> we're talking about the new horror film, starring Sandra Oh called Amma that's out in theaters right now uh, we'll be talking all about the film after the break but before we get to that let's find out what pop culture is beginning through this week um, so let's start with Jess what's popping I started one of the most unhinged reality baking shows I've ever that's unfair they're all unhinged I started watching is it cake the new reality show competition on Netflix. <laughs> and in the vein of Netflix reality competition shows based around food, it's like they took a very nice viral concept, like an internet concept, and then like injected it with pure cocaine. Um, I, I I like the cake parts. Oh, sorry, let me let me backtrack. So the premise is like they basically got all these very talented cake artists to come and um create things out of cake and the the objective is to fool the judges which is a panel of three random d-list celebrities from different (laughs) spheres uh to fool them into not you know have them guess which one is cake and if you can fool them then you win like ten thousand dollars yeah so if Um, you think it's it's a real shoe and it ends up being cake then they've they've like fooled you yeah, but like it's just so like unhinged. Like there's, it's just so extra. There's like a lot of uh, in that Netflix way where they make the 
hosts crack a lot of bad jokes and like forced laughter. The the host is Mikey Day, like one of the random people on SNL, one of the random white men on SNL. I'm like, this is a very weird pick. I feel like I feel like they should just they should just get Nicole Byer again. Release in the cake world. I know I love Nicole Byer. I don't like nailed it because like I I yeah I I, I dislike incompetency. I love so this it. is like more in <laughs> this is more in like the competency. Except it's not really focused on the cake. It's more mm-hmm. about the like insane. But I'm not gonna lie. It's very satisfying when they're like, "Is it cake?" and they cut it like in front and you find out if it's cake or not. Oh, they cut um, it. I want. I and- wish they would bite it. And he might cut it with like a samurai sword or, or a machete, machete or random mm-hmm. things. Um, so I wish they focused a little bit more on the technique part. Like, I'd love to see it. It's also like in the American way, we focus too much on the humiliation the host and the like loud noises. And the mm-hmm. and then they're the contestants are a little mean to each other because we're competing for money as opposed to. You know, the British way, you're just like, I'm just here to make friends and do good work and push myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's entertaining enough. Um, you know, if anything, just watch and fast forward to the parts where they're cutting through the cake. I'm pretty good. I can spot the cake <laughs> all the time. Uh, and it's basically, you know, an early pandemic. There was that Turkish baker mm-hmm. who was very great at making cakes, and hers are like super scary. There, I also I saw one recently where like the wall was cake. That one was like really upsetting. <laughs> it's like really upsetting. So, uh, you know, I enjoy it. It's fun enough. I'm waiting for Bake Off to come back. So put it on. Uh, watch people cut through things with a cake. Is a cake makes me really want to have cake. Um, and it makes me really want to bake again. All right, Han, what's popping with you? As you might know, I talked about how bad the courtship was, and it is so bad, in fact, that NBC decided to move it to one of its sister cable stations, the USA. Wow, already? <laughs> and so my sad part of this is, even though it's bad, I was like, it's a good background noise. They seem to have stopped putting it on Peacock. And so now I can't watch Beyond Episode 2, even though I was saying it was a bad show. So I'm now I'm kind of pissed. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so to fulfill that sort of Regency era in a much better way is I uh, watched all my screeners for two shows. Sanditon, which is uh, Jane Austen's unfinished novel that, uh, let's see, they finished in season one. Um, they added a lot of sex and upset people. And then it got canceled in the UK. And then the, uh, everyone like had a like a viral campaign to save it. So it got saved. And so now in season two, they were so excited. But then the lead actor dropped out. So they're mad again. Ooh, and oh. So anyway, so season two started. <laughs> yeah, season two, two started on Sunday. And also it's they said we're going back to Jane Austen style. So there's not going to be the sex on the floor. Again, so um, so Rude. so there's less. There's not just less sex. There's no sex. That's not even a spoiler. Uh, there's no sex because if we're talking Jane Austen's, there's no sex. Um, and it is definitely more along the lines of what she had wanted. It's um, there's still a little bit of darkness. That was the whole point of having that sex scene in the last season. And there's a hand job also, but uh, th- where the characters involved with that are actually pretty damn evil. So uh, that is somewhat unlike Austin also, whereas kind of that evil is hinted at. Um, and there are people you very much dislike, but the evil here is kind of like, man, this person could have killed this person. Um, so I enjoyed that um, to a certain extent. It is already renewed for a third season. So um, that might give you some hints about what where this season is going. Um, but then I also watched all my screeners for Bridgerton. So uh, this podcast will be out right before Bridgerton um, hits Netflix. Season two, um, this is one where uh, there's already been reviews out, so I'm not going to be breaking embargo. And we will discuss it more at length on this podcast. So I will just kind of give my general impressions, which is um, I think they did a better job of uh, Julia Quinn, the novelist who wrote the series did a very nice job as far as like creating this very warm family that you like, but she wasn't very great at actually creating like a very 
brisk plot. Um, it was just a very thinly, you know, very thin plot where people are arguing for about 400 pages with each of their hangups. And then um, they have a lot of sex, which, again, not too bad. But it also meant that there wasn't really a lot of Regency touches, except for the very bare bones. Um, and the dialogue was sort of like not really good banter. It was just them talking to each other and saying touche. And I'm like, that's not even when you say touche. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think they did a lot better job. Like first, the first season, they already did you know create a bigger world around the central romance plot. This time around, not only did they you know keep on giving um, a better world with the other characters, like I actually like the family members a lot more this time around. They created a better family relationship. And I think the central um, love story, while, you know, the Duke himself was hot in the first season, I didn't feel the chemistry. I thought their sex scenes were laughable. This one, it's like smoldering hot, I feel. And they do the slow burn, slow, 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 lots of eye, um, eye gazing, uh, eye fucking. Um, and it made me yes give it to me (laughs) yeah and it made me like Anthony so that tells you how good so Anthony and then his main love interest Kate really good actors they really sold it now is there sex there is going to be but you have to wait for it and um, we'll we'll talk about it more when this season you know we've all caught up but um, I think there's some legitimate like critiques that we can talk about pacing and stuff like that. But overall, I really enjoyed it. How are the hotties? Because season one, everyone was talking about the Duke. Yeah, the Duke also because he was kind of like, well, I mean, you really couldn't ignore him. He was just such a pretty man. <laughs> um, but uh, so the main Bridgerton guy, Anthony, is, uh, you know, I think he's hot in that, like, while I normally wouldn't look at him like I hated him in season one, he really brings it this season. And I think they give him better material. So I found him very attractive here. Yes. Like, and, and that, that helps. That whole opera singer line yeah. was weird. It's not in the books. Yeah. Um, and he's very, Jonathan Bailey, the actor, is very attractive in yeah. real like, life. I was just like, and all the oh, behind the scenes stuff where like, how are you so hot and charming? Like all three of the Bridgerton boys are hotter because they were, Oh, I think yeah, they're just yeah. like less shitty in real life than the characters are in season one. Mm-hmm. Um, like they sing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I have to wait for it, but like Colin, I still find like very bleh. Like he's also the least of my like physical type, and and I don't like his character yet. So, but I'm also seeing how season two brought them forward. Maybe by his season, it'll be better. Um, and then of course the love interest Kate Sharma, played by Simone Ashley. She's gorgeous like she's so th- hot it's like ridiculous ethereally gorgeous they do something with her skin so she's like literally glowing at times but also here's the thing the person who plays her sister uh they give a better role than in the book because her sister edwina is supposed to be kind of like the diamond of the first water of the season and so she's the star and um and that ended up in the books kind of being like she's very very pretty but also just kind of like uninteresting whereas they definitely give her a spine and a brain and um because you know for her to be caught between the two of them um because he is initially after her because he thinks he can make a a perfect marriage with her i thought that that was always messed up in the books and they kind of address all of that shit in this season so um uh i think she's very good so i really really enjoyed the acting of the season which you wouldn't necessarily have said in the first season. So um, the dialogue is still kind of, eh, there's some, uh, there's some um, melodrama here and there. I like um, Eloise. They, they brought up her feminism plotline a lot more, which I'm enjoying. I'm still worried. And we will talk about this, about her eventual plotline. Um, but uh, yeah, so far I'm like, if this is the way they're going, you know, they, uh, they, they seem to have like taken a lot of critiques very seriously and maybe they overcorrected, but I'd rather see them trying, you know? So yes, we'll I'm, I'm easy, so I just just <laughs> hot enemies to lovers. I'm, yes, I'm yes. there. Even it's... honestly, even though it's bad, I'd watch it. <laughs> All right, Marvin. How about you? What's All happened? right. So um we're back in Marvin's anime corner. Uh the season finale for 86, which is a show that I've been following, just premiered last Saturday. And I know what you're thinking, but Marvin. <laughs> 
Wasn't 86 part of the fall anime season? It's now winter. What's going on? I've never thought that in my life, Marvin, <laughs> but sure, I'll, let's go with it. And yes, you would be correct. Um, because the way anime production works, uh, where teams are literally finishing the show as it's being um, aired, there were a couple of production delays that ended up causing the show itself to run out of time slots for its season. So the final two episodes ended up being delayed to this month. Um, so 86 fans have been waiting almost literally 86 days for these last two oh. episodes. And yeah, they totally nailed the landing. Um, so in case you've forgotten what 86 is about, uh, very briefly, it's a mecha anime um, taking place in a world where humanity is at war with a rogue AI army. Um, the titular 86 are a group of minorities who have been oppressed into service to fight against the robots as quote-unquote unmanned drones since their humanity has been legally revoked. Um, so the, the author, Asato Asato, got inspiration for this from two countries, one from each side of World War II. I'll let you um, come to the, your, your conclusions. USA, which ones. USA, <laughs> USA. So um, I've mentioned before, part one um, was an exploration of what it means to truly be an ally as a member of the oppressive side, even though you yourself had not been doing the oppressing. And then the second part, which aired last season, um, it goes even further and examines the effects of being oppressed and how to move on from that trauma. Since it's still a mecha anime, there's a ton of really cool fights. Um, but I thought it was really interesting that the climax for the season wasn't the big fight against the big bad. It was what happened afterwards, where the main character goes through an existential crisis and learns that he's allowed to dream of a future that's better than his current circumstance. Because, you know, the way oppression works is like you oppress someone by making them believe that they can't even dream of something better for themselves. Right. So and mm -hmm. the show does a really good job kind of portraying what that does to a person who grew up under that system. And the secret sauce of the show is actually underneath all the war, discrimination, and mechs, 86 is a romance story. It's, a, it's ultimately a story about a boy mm -hmm. and a girl and how they become each other's strengths. And it's, it's, it's just really good. The whole season is available now on Crunchyroll, so you can jump on that 14-day trial and binge the whole series if you want. I think it's a series that even non-anime watchers can enjoy um, because the show is very cinematically shot. Um, so the series director, Toshimasa Ishii, it's his first project as lead director. And um, people who follow Japanese animation should follow this guy because he's going to be big. You can tell that he and his team have a lot of passion for this project um, and really wanted to bring it to life. Like the source of the hero itself is based on a light novel. And most Japanese light novels are kind of like, it's the equivalent of like those trashy romance novels you guys probably <laughs> like reading, right? It's kind yeah. of fluff and like <laughs> yeah. kind of tropes. But the light novel for 86 is actually pretty, it's, the prose is more dense. There's a lot of world building. It can probably stack up against like, you know, contemporary like genre fiction, even though it's like in that like light novel um, serial style. Mm -hmm. And the show itself, if you approach it from an artistic angle, there's a lot of like just beautiful backgrounds. Um, the director is a huge fan of smash cuts and parallelism. So he'll take the same kind of framing, but use it in different contexts to kind of show contrast. And he'll call back to the same frame earlier to the episode to all the way from like a few episodes ago. So it's like it's a really interesting. And, you know, the show is very not subtle about its subject of racism and oppression. But the world building is super subtle. And whenever it can, the show opts for a show-don't-tell approach um, using all their artistic tools, which really lends itself to multiple viewings once you kind of see further in and go back. So um, that has to say, I think the series is really, really good. Um, like Even if you aren't into mecha as a genre, um, it's I think you can still get into this show. Um, so, yeah. Um, again, it's called 86. It's available now on Crunchyroll. And yeah, the whole season is wrapped. And, you know, the season finale actually ends the arc. So there's no big cliffhanger. It does leave the door open for future seasons. But, you know, if you're one of those people who can't stand like a hard cliffhanger ending to a season, it doesn't do that at all. So you can watch the final episode and feel actually fulfilled. Like I've literally watched the final scene of this show at least like 20 times over the last weekend. Mm hmm. All right. So our last thing for what's popping this week is uh, once again our our sub podcast Go Asian, in which we recap the current season of Top Chef. This past week was episode three, and we lost our first Asian. We're down to four, <laughs> which is sad because this was the Asian episode. Yeah, the way always rough, always rough. <laughs> <sighs> So, yeah, this week was the Night Market Challenge. And I did enjoy that they dedicated the entire episode to Asian food. 
Um, there was no quick fire, so we got to see a lot of the Asian community in Houston. We got um, each chef was assigned a cuisine. I think it was um, what Vietnamese, Chinese, Indian, Filipino, and Japanese. Yeah, and they were all sent to the respective Asian markets to source their ingredients. And I gotta say, Han, did you recognize <laughs> all of these places? So, okay, before we get to the markets, they actually went to various uh, the representatives of those restaurants to so um, they could give them tips on the flavor profiles and techniques and stuff like that. And they got to taste stuff. So even if they didn't know anything like shit about like Vietnamese <laughs> food, hopefully they at least got a few tools. Um, then they got sent to the market. And I have to say, even beyond like I was taking notes as far as, far as like the restaurants I hadn't been to, but. As much, and there were like only about half of them. I was like, oh, I still been to most of these. Um, but I do have to say that I was very sad seeing all the markets because I miss them. <laughs> um, I, you know, I've definitely been, Hong Kong market is basically the hub of Chinatown and um, where all the Chinese Vietnamese people and others uh, go to kind of, it's not just the supermarket, but it's a uh, supermarket in the middle of a mall. Mm. And the mall has all the other shops and all other clothes mm. and things like that. Mm. And it has a, a satellite restaurants and other stuff like that. So, like, that's the parking lot. My mom was like, yeah, it's a very dangerous parking lot. And, <laughs> <laughs> and um, so there's that. And then, um, of course, 99 Ranch. And I thought it was interesting that uh, I think it was uh, Joe. Uh, when she put it in the GPS, she did say 99 Ranch. Because I don't know about you, but I always say 99 Ranch. That is the correct so, way to say it. Right. Whoever. I know that, that is the saying, correct way. Don't let those bitches tell you otherwise. Yeah. 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 So everyone <laughs> who says it's Ranch 99, I was like, I don't understand that. No, you're um, wrong. Right. <laughs> I'm so starting shit. Sorry. <laughs> I will say it was interesting to see how many of these chefs were like terrified of this challenge. Yes. Especially the soul food guy who got um, Japanese. And I was like, dude, he went the way I thought he would go, which is yeah. karage, right? Which is like, right. which is smart, smart. Yeah. Right, right. I always love it when people are like super scared to cook Indian for Padma, which I would be too. Like, yes. let's be real. Um, but yeah, I'm it just... was a rookie move that, like, rookie mistake that Sam made. Yeah. Oh, Sam. Sam because... and Buddha. Buddha yes. also messed up. Like, two of the people on the bottom, both Asians on the bottom, yeah. messed up Indian food. Yeah. It was funny yeah. because Buddha, you are Indian. He apparently, he's apparently half Indian. I'm like, Buddha. Buddha. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, and he, but he also messed up on like a dough that he literally asked about, and she said, "Don't do it," and he did it, and I was just like, "Oh, that's unfortunate." But um, yeah, I I was still pleased that um, two of the top three finishers did Vietnamese food, yeah, and, and Evelyn finally, finally. I know. Uh, After all that, all that posturing about I traveled to Vietnam and Southeast yeah. Asia. She didn't mess up the rice noodles because there were no rice noodles this time. So, you know, I'm very happy that there was justice for Vietnamese flavors and um, that it was, well, we can talk about the winner, COVID man. <laughs> no, the winner was Jay. Oh, that that's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, but he was, okay. So yeah. of the top three, COVID man also did Vietnamese food, which was exciting because he couldn't taste. <laughs> yeah, this, he is like, I think he's gone from like, what the hell is this guy doing this? I'm, like, I'm actually kind of rooting for him because he is like overcoming yeah, I, his disability to, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the sense of taste is so important to mm-hmm. cooking. To a chef? Yes. Yeah. yeah. The, the fact that he took a look at his situation and said, hmm, I have all these other chefs with great palates. I will use them to gaze for me. And and this is not, so there's a show coming up on TBS called Rat in the Kitchen. This is not Rat in the Kitchen <laughs> where the other chefs actually sabotage you. But the winner was Jay Jung, the Korean lady who did Chinese food. And she did, I guess, Sichuan um, oil noodles, which just reminded me of like the, the spicy wontons from Ding Tai Fung. Yeah, right? yeah I love those. Uh, that And what was the, her twist on it? It was some sort of fruit? Oh, she, she put like the some Korean melon, melon on yeah. top. Yeah. Which sounds so weird to me, but apparently it was great. That so. makes yeah. sense Good to me. for her. I was actually pleasantly surprised because you know she did pretty bad in that first challenge by not being flexible or on her feet. And then I looked into her bona fides and she actually has like a really like yep. interesting background. She worked for both Daniel Balut and Eric Repair. And she, her restaurant right now is a cajun korean like fusion restaurant oh that sounds excellent maybe it's just her finally getting into the 
the rhythm of the competition because yeah. I feel like I would suck at the beginning of any of these types of reality show competitions. Um, it's just a different world, like having yeah. to perform in that sort of environment. <laughs> yeah, as we've seen from um, from Noma Guy, who comes from arguably the best <laughs> restaurant in the world, but can't seem to get his shit together. Uh, well, on the bottom, we have two of our Asians. We had Buddha for his soggy fried samosas, and we have Sam for his terrible grilled potatoes. Grilled it's like potato. It's raw in the middle. Oh my god, it's <sighs> it's such a rookie mistake. But the most amazing thing is the theater we got from <laughs> judging table from Sam, where he defended his shitty potatoes to the death. He was just like, I don't think even came, the thing with Sam like it wasn't even like a malicious thing. It was like no. a genuinely like artistic thing. I mean, I was explaining to my friend who was so annoyed with Sam this episode. I'm like, <laughs> oh no, he like yes, I he's he's being wild, but I'm I'm used to this because he just has like actor energy. He's like yeah. artist energy, right? Like yeah. music music artist energy, like kind of head in the clouds about like something you don't really understand. You're like, uh huh, uh huh, but did it work? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was like, oh, Sam, sweet little Sam. <laughs> but he stood by it. I think it was interesting because anyone else would have been like, look, I understand that this was not ideal because this was my plan. I had to pivot. Didn't work out. And maybe they might have given him a, a, a point for that. But instead, he just stuck by it. He's like, no, I planned this. In and his I was head, like, he was like, I can charm them. I can and turn this around. It might have worked anywhere else. Um, I know people who are charming. But you served a raw potato. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Two Padma and um yeah. and another Indian woman. So I was just like, yeah, yeah. no. The writing um, was on the wall, and then we lost our little Asian chaos too early. I think. I think. Hey, Last Chance Kitchen. I I'm not one of those people who watches it, so I always get like a nice surprise. Oh, spoiler alert! Make it. Sorry, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, are we surprised? No. He grilled potatoes again. I know. I saw that in the clip. <laughs> Step away from the potatoes, my dude. Yeah. Now, like, I don't even like potatoes that much, but even I know better. I mean, yeah. You mess up potatoes, you got to go. Although messing up samosas is also equally bad. So, you know, we're one down, but still four Asians in the running. So, um, still going strong. Go Asian will continue next week, um, where it's going to be a double elimination. So, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, But yeah, that'll do it for this week's What's Poppin'. When we come back, we're going to go into the country, off the grid. And talk about little Emma. Stick around. Hey, I'm Bill Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. Amma is a horror film written and directed by Iris K. Shim, starring Sandra Oh and Fievel Stewart as Korean American mother and daughter beekeepers living literally off the grid in a remote farm. Uh, but when Amanda receives the ashes of her estranged mother, spooky things start happening, and Amanda finds herself gradually turning into her mother herself. Um, the film is in theaters now, and it's produced by Sam Raimi. Um, so, yeah, what do we think of Amma? Let me. It is another another entry into Mama Trauma Ma- March. That's true. Uh, this is part two of funny. the Sandra O oh Mother Duology. Mother Trauma, Mama Mama Trauma. I'm calling it Mama Trauma. So it's really funny because I know we just talked about turning red. So this is kind of like same things, very different vibe. <laughs> but I think it still works as a companion piece. <laughs> yes. I thought the performances were pretty great. Uh, I think Favel Stewart and... I mean, it's like a three-person movie. Right? It's like a three-person movie. You know, they're kind of off-the-grid, isolate, selectively isolated. Um, though I'm not going to lie, that seemed very attractive to me. Like, ooh, off-the-grid, <laughs> no electricity, no internet, just like vibing with the bees. That's like cottagecore to the max. 
It's probably really hot, and though. Are you sure you can handle I, that? No, no, you're you're fair. That's <laughs> fair. Uh, and, you know, shit goes down when this, the mother, her mother, so the grandma, um's remains are brought to the farm beekeeper rural homestead. By the most severe uncle I've ever seen. I mean, aren't all Korean uncles severe? Mm-hmm. I'm not Korean, so mm-hmm. I can't. Yep. I, mean, I mean, all have like one shitty uncle at least. I this think guy, that's like, like the yeah. shade he was giving her. This for guy like wasn't even being... severe enough. Like that. Like this was a nice uncle <laughs> for, compared to some of the Korean uncles I've known. So yeah, uh, not to say not to paint all of them as bad. Like some of them are very nice, I'm sure. But like for a movie yeah. uncle, he's fine. <laughs> I mean, he was giving some good passive aggressive uncle energy. I thought it was just aggressive. He was. Aggressive. He was a, the the haircut was very <laughs> on point. You know, like the very high and tight haircut. Uh, I thought it was effective in some parts, less effective in others. But overall, you know, enjoyed this take on what's. I actually don't watch that many scary movies, so it's kind of also like I'm. I don't have the exact language to compare it to, but I thought it was a interesting take on the that like thriller horror genre and you know it's centering a very specific experience which is asian moms fucking you up <laughs> yeah, yeah it's um i mean it's more of a creepy haunted house film you know it's not a slasher it's not very gory but it's just a lot of creepy vibes right it's a lot of um it's definitely a Raimi film this film has so many signature Raimi shots and scenes. Like every 10 seconds, it's a slow, like you hear, it's like a creepy noise and the slow pan towards the sound and then something happening. And I got to say, every time that happened, I was kind of cackling. Um, I think I loved it because when I was in college, one of my formative experiences was watching all three Evil Dead movies in one night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I here's the weird thing. It's like, I actually don't like a lot of horror, but I've seen all the Evil Deads. Um, because of college, you know, uh, and several times, uh, that me- that means I like definitely have a lot of that Raimi sort of like DNA in my knowledge. And um, Iris K. Shim, who directed this, clearly also you know went to that college <laughs> of uh, Evil Dead, and so there's some like really fun like visual uh, cues that you get, and that creates that atmospheric horror that I actually enjoy better. I I like Supernatural. I like all that type of stuff. I don't like regular horror films, like slasher films. Um, I I don't like it when there's pure evil because that that shit gets to me. Um, I'm also just a very highly imaginative person, so I can't get a lot of visual input because it will stay with me and it will haunt me at night. Um, So PG-13 horror, just about right for me. Um, I do have to say that yeah, there were, the, I did maybe like not watch a third of this yes, film because yes. it was very dark and I knew things were going to pop out and I got scared. Yeah, no, I agree. There was there was enough visuals that I was like, oh, shit. And I was watching it. I always watch horror films as early as I can in the day. So that way, in case I don't sleep very well um, on the weekend, I have an extra day to catch up. So I watched this at a matinee and I was alone in the theater because there's nobody else there. And I still was like, fuck. You know, it's like, oh, Alma is looking very creepy right here. And I don't know how I feel about like her looking transparent in this chair. But um, so that was enough to get like, I think the setup was great. I think the concept of the where the horror comes from is great. I don't necessarily think the resolution worked for me. I also um, was really like when you're talking about the cottage core stuff, just I love that. In fact, I wanted just a whole movie of just them, like, making honey. And so part of me felt almost like there were these two separate movies that didn't quite knit together very well for me. Like, um, the the mother's daughter's storyline with them being off the grid. Um, so, like, even when it did, like, literally overlap in the plot lines, it, I, I didn't know how I felt about those moments. So I think it just got a little bit muddled. Um, but, uh, yeah, I liked a lot of where it was going in some ways. I don't know. I was hoping like, because I don't know how many people are going to go see this. Uh, there's so many films out right now that people are like got that have more attention. So I almost wish that this was like on TV, um, so that people could check out because I think they're like, they're more likely to go stream it if they're unsure about it than to pay money to go to theater. So, um, I was hoping it would get more eyeballs that way. 
Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I actually really liked it. I thought as an allegory for overcoming generational trauma, I think it actually did a pretty good job in the resolution. Um, It definitely was not a super scary film, which, you know, (laughs) I kind of appreciate it. I I didn't need like an evil force representing like the immigrant generation, right? Because, um, but I did enjoy the fact that like, you know, taking it as like, again, a companion piece to Turning Red, the resolution is similar, right? It's about accepting your parents' trauma, but then the way it goes about it is a little bit different, right? One In one series, the parent is forgiven. The other series, the parent is not forgiven. And I think both are equally valid ways to kind of address generational trauma. And especially in this story where that immigrant trauma gets translated into child abuse, which is kind of like the core of the trauma being passed down, right, in this, in this mm-hmm. film. I, I mean, I understood that that's where they had to go. I think it was just the mechanics of it as far as the drama of horror that I I don't know maybe I wanted a big bad sort of like scene I'm not quite sure Mm. what since I'm not a great yeah it never really got to the intensity you expect yeah for a horror movie or even a thriller movie right and that was really it like I knew that that's what the point was and so them doing that made sense to me but yeah I just didn't it didn't reach that climax i guess for me so then again i am not a horror person so i don't know what i would uh, suggest in lieu of it but like maybe maybe uh maybe i needed sandra oh to get a little bit more physical i don't know that'd be kind of fun to see her as an action star in some way um or to (laughs) maybe do something to save her daughter to kind of like break the pattern right there um, so something. you wanted more of an Evil Dead 2 where it turns into like a slapstick um, action. Well, let, yeah, let's talk about that. Like, while I did love the um, the creepiness and atmosphere of it, I really, in some places, wanted to laugh a lot more. And I kind of wished it went a little bit camp, like pushed it just over the line. Because, like, I think most horror, if you think about it, of course, is ridiculous. And so I think there's a really good way that some people make horror where they're like we're gonna go all out for it but if you laugh that's fine because you we're giving it like our all so like it's extreme and maybe sometimes the laughter is even like i'm just laughing because i can't take like all my emotions right now (laughs) so um i kind of wanted that sort of like extremes of emotion for myself um (laughs) i mean i did enjoy that the central concept of this horror is you turning into your immigrant parent, which is oh, like every so child bad. of immigrants' so yeah, biggest that nightmare. Was, that was great. That was good. <laughs> I, I did. I I enjoyed the scenes where they dive deeper into that. Um, I think my favorite scene is where like Sandra O's just being like a dick to Chris, yes, yes. in the vineyard, and it's like you can't do it like you. I was just like, oh my god, this is very like, oh, this is <laughs> fucked up, right? Like, I wish I'd just gone there a little more, and um, it was. Because, like, that's really the root of what this movie... That's the real horror story of this movie, right? It's it's not the spirit of the mom. It's like, ooh, the fucked up shit you say you're not supposed... To, you think and you're not supposed to say as a mom. Um, and then, like... So maybe motherhood is the horror? Maybe yeah. motherhood's the horror. Uh, as someone who, like, doesn't want to be a mother, like, that sounds horrific. I Being would, a mother sounds yeah, horrific. I, I would be afraid to be a mom. Like, honestly, like, I as a pet owner, I'm, like, kind of, like, already crazy. Like... It's stressful. So like to be a mom and like to form their personality and character. Oh, my God. That's a lot of pressure. So there's a scene like where they're kind of going at it where like I think she even slaps her. And I was like, oh, that's real. Because I was like, I've been slapped by my mom and I'm sure she would very much regret it in the moment. (laughs) But she also was like pushed to a point where she did it. So I'm just like in some ways like i've never been slapped again it was only when like once and so i was just like that's extreme and i think that was like a really good scene because i didn't hate sandra o's character in that moment but i also didn't condone it so it was just like yeah shit happens and that was like that kind of like just showed how far she got pushed i also do think that like Uma is straight up scary and they had some cg moments where like Physically, Sandra O oh is turning into Emma, like her mm. face. It's so good. Like it, it was like sometimes <laughs> it's subtle, and other times I'm just like ah. Um, so yeah, I I don't want to become my mom. <laughs> yeah, and... no, I don't want to become my mother either. <laughs> yeah, 
And, you know, Sandra O's oh's character, Amanda, her central conflict is the fact that she, much like a lot of immigrant parents, don't talk about their traumas mm-hmm. and don't share them and just like bottle them up until she literally becomes her mother, right? For yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's real. Um, there, There is a physical aspect of the trauma that is also, I don't want to spoil anything, but that was, that was interesting and that made me kind of scared too. And it explains about the whole... Uh, going off the grid situation. Um, there is a random white guy. <laughs> Dermot Mulrooney. We love him. I love him. I like Dermot Mulrooney. I do too. And, and But I just love that. Was I was like, fine. Yeah. what's he doing in there? And I was just like, okay, that's fine. Like He's uh, he's selling the honey. Yeah. yeah. If you live out in the sticks, you're going to need a white guy uncle to like handle your necessities, right? Yeah. And what I liked is that he, they didn't make him a love interest for her. Mm. So that was, I thought, very important. I am so pro having just a platonic opposite <laughs> gender person as your friend. Um, and enough, more TV shows and movies need to do that. Um, I do want to talk about his niece, um, River, <laughs> who yes. I feel like is a better white friend to Chris than Miriam was to Malin in Turning Red. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Because she didn't yeah. minimize her friend's, like, experiences, right? Yeah. Uh, she was interesting because uh, she is someone who, in general, like, defended um, Chris to the people who are like, you're weird because you're homeschooled. Um, so that, number one, was good. But that she also kind of told Chris some truths that maybe she wasn't, like, willing to hear, which was also a good friend thing to do. Um and uh, yeah, and then she also legitimized, of course, that like, yeah, you're weird, but I like you because you are weird. And that means you're unique. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of good things coming from her as a friend. And she helped her out. I was kind of impressed. I got some gay vibes. Yes. I, I thought one. they were going to kiss. <laughs> I thought they were going to kiss. I kind of wanted them to kiss, but it's fine. We're already tackling a lot. We That's don't need to for. add like, on like yeah. that right now. Yeah. Yeah, you go to college and you experiment, girl. Yeah, I definitely from the very first moment was just like, are are they supposed to be loving? <laughs> and then since it never went there, I was like, huh. So yes, when we're talking about like if there if there's any romantic vibes in the movie, it was between them, um, not Sandra Oh and yeah. uh, Dermot Mulroney. The one thing that really did creep me out was all the bee imagery because ever since watching the original Candyman, <laughs> bees are just like yeah. a trigger. Yeah, I bees are they- very very. They're very hot in horror movies. Got Wicker Man, right? We have uh, Candyman, and it it makes a lot of sense because I was thinking like, oh, like bees, you know, they have a queen, like that's their everyone's mother, and like the mother sustains them until like she's no longer useful. Then you like kill her. Uh, like, okay, oh. okay. And then we have Bridgerton. <laughs> uh, once you watch, oh you god, will... the fucking bee in Bridgerton. Well, it's better this season than you expect, so we will yeah. talk about the bees. But... Dad, yes, but we will. But we will talk about the, the bees. bees we'll... the dad, that's yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so uh, but speaking of critters in the movie, uh, what did you think about the uh, t- fox? The what was the purpose? Fox? I'm sure there's some symbolism. Um, but all I can think of was someone on that team was like, we need to put in a Nine-Tailed Fox because it's a Korean horror. Even though, like, it, I don't know. Yeah. Was there some symbolism? I'm not Korean myself, so I don't know if there was, you know, like, I don't know if there was some mythological significance to it or if it was just there because it looked cool. Well, I mean, I think maybe it wasn't fully explained enough the connection because, you know, like, we did see that the... Um, suitcase that almost stuff her her earthly effects are in you know it has a scarf tied around its handle and the scarf has a picture of the fox in it right and then later we see the fox in the flesh flesh question mark cg <laughs> um and so like as we know like you're saying we know it's like a in in a lot of actually eastern asian um mythology legends that there is a spirit fox so that it's either kitsune for Japanese, I think there's one in China, and then there's definitely one for Korean, the Kumiho. Um, and we saw Jamie Chung uh, be that in yeah. the... Um, but the difference is, because here's where the confusion comes in, because I agree. Usually, the the Korean fox is um, 
sort of like a succubus. It's yeah, definitely malevolent. Yeah, there's an element of sexuality and seduction. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which doesn't really make sense in this context because there's no men in this. Right, and there's no eating of the flesh. They're they're definitely supposed to be malevolent. And while it, this looked kind of evil, I was like, so I was trying to figure out like, I mean, was, eating a chicken, so, you know. Yeah, which is fine. You know, like it wasn't a rooster though, was it? Um, but uh, But also I was like, did it mean that it had taken over the moms almost somehow. I was kind of confused about what that connection was too. Um, so maybe anyone, uh, Korean listeners, you can kind of enlighten <laughs> us. Uh, I, I, my very light Googling didn't turn up enough answers for me to understand it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe deeper Googling would help. But uh, yeah, that I kind of came up empty. Also, I was like, I have one. I think we just got to go Occam's Razor with this and just say it just because it looks cool. <laughs> it looked cool. Well, I think it had an influence. I think maybe that's why. Also, Emma, like because she didn't. She eventually became nice. I don't know. So maybe it had to get exercised <laughs> in some way. I don't know. Um, I don't think she became nice. She well, was still pretty bitchy till the end. Yeah, she found peace. <laughs> so, <laughs> she was Reluct- still bitch to the yeah, end. <laughs> bitch to the end. Uh, but um, anyway, yeah. all right. Well, last question for everyone is Amma good pop. Um, I'm kind of in between. I think I'm leaning towards yes, even though it wasn't a hundred percent like great movie for me. Uh, I think it brings up conversation. So I think I'm I'm like kind of leaning seventy five percent that way. Mm. I would agree with Han. I think at the end of the day, it's, you know, any any kind of different take on the horror genre is, is great horror. It's always so, like, um, they just make so many of them. Like, yeah. they, like, it's one of the things they still really make a lot of, right? And we get so many of them every year to this day. And, um, again, not a horror fan, so I don't know, like, what the level is. I'm actually, and, and I, I wonder what, like, if like we just also as a like audience don't watch move like it's such a small this was actually a very small movie yeah right but in, in terms of like kind of scope and like characters in terms of like you know three people basic three or four people one location but it's I feel like it's just a different experience. Like I almost agree with Han. Like I do think this probably would be more effective as like on Netflix or on a Hulu or something like that. Um, but yes, I'm I'm down. I would take more. I mean, I watch this horror thing to support Iris. Um, I I don't watch horror movies. <laughs> yeah, you know this. The last one I watched was Get Out. So yeah, I mean, let's 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 keep trying. Let's keep doing more of these. Yeah. Um, I do think it's good pop and, you know, I'm always down for more diversity in storytelling, especially in genre fiction, which is an area where mm-hmm. it could use more, more color, more, more different stories that even if it goes with the tropes, it subverts it by telling different stories or having different points of view. And I do appreciate that this film definitely has like the voice of a Asian American, the voice of a Korean American behind it. Right. I think in the hands of like someone else who maybe isn't Asian American, it could have gone all sorts of wrong, but I think yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was waiting for all the like Asian music and, and those kind of stings that would have been like, oh no. That or- is true. I very much appreciate like there was no fucking zither, which isn't even the right culture. Or gong. Right? There's no like. Which, which this film does oh, better than Top Chef did. Because Top Chef definitely had oriental music during yeah. the night market scene. Yes. Yeah. So I do have to they say. They showed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have to say that the touches here that were um, authentic, I felt, was not forced. And that was great for me. Um, and 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 it, and it also, when we're, we're very clearly talking about an Asian American storyline, which I found great because there was no sort of apology or explanation of any of, we don't really talk about Chris's dad, who is not in the picture, or that she's clearly like, you know, like half, right? A hapa in some way. And we don't care about his her dad, in fact. So <laughs> like in, in, in many ways, it's kind of like very accepting and kind of just like in your face, like this is what the story is. And um, it doesn't necessarily, you know, besides the obviously generational trauma of an immigrant parent, 
<laughs> you know, it doesn't, it didn't always like have that sort of like capital A Asian feel to it sometimes for me, which was good. It felt like a very much like a, uh, a nice indie, nice indie horror movie. And I liked the small setting, the very um, narrow setting. That actually was probably my favorite part was this sort of like claustrophobia you get from just knowing that they can't do that many things and they can't go on the internet and reach for help that way. Yeah. Even even cell phones. No cell phones. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah. How convenient that you have this isolated house with <laughs> no lights. Everything's lit by like lamps um, <laughs> for a horror movie. Yeah. Again, that sounds pretty great. Like if if that house and like that called it, you know that if that came with like a spooky mom ghost, like I, I still might move in. Like there's honestly, a, there's a nice as long as not my mom ghost. <laughs> yeah, there's a the, there's a nice typewriter there, which was pretty cool. Yeah, um, yeah. a nice attic, which I liked. <laughs> Check Just it out. Vibes. Cozy times. Cozy times. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, that'll do it for our discussion of Amma in theaters now. Um, Han, Jess, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? My trash takes are on Twitter at Just You Tweets. And I am at Anonymous. You can find me at Marvin Yue. You can find the show at Good Pop Club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Check out our fellow Asian American pods by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. We'll be back next week for our March Asian American Entertainment News Roundup. So yeah, we'll see you then. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Sharon. Hey, Raman. How are folks still racist? I know, right? We're like two decades into the 21st century. Yeah. And second question, where's my jetpack? Well, I can't help you there, but have I got a podcast for you. Modern Minorities is a show where each week, my longtime pal Raman and I uncover common and uncommon truths that we all need to hear for our majority brains and ears. Yeah, Sharon and I have spoken to doctors, lawyers, directors, climate activists, angry Asians, athletes, chefs, writers. Folks who are black, brown, gay, straight, and everything in between. Past guests have included comedian Margaret Cho, Southern Poverty Law Center journalist Geraldine Mariba, comics creator Jean Lun Yang, and many, many more. We've even talked about Ramadan, Black History Month, Kamala Khan, and Robin being queer. It's like we're trying to solve racism with the podcast. Challenge accepted. So check out Modern Minorities at modmypod.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Remember, we're all modern minorities, but we're no one's model minority. Modern Minorities.